Chapter thirty eight of the Lamplighter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins. Chapter thirty eight. It was not thus in other days we met. Hath time, hath absence, taught thee to forget? Mrs. Hemans. Later in the evening, when Gertrude, having resigned her little charge to the nurse who came to seek her, had again joined her party, the attention of every one assembled in the drawing-room was attracted by the entrance of a beautiful and showily dressed young lady, attended by two or three gentlemen. After glancing round the room for the person whom she came to seek, she advanced towards Mrs. Pentricourt, who on her part rose to receive her young visitor. Unexpected as the meeting was to Gertrude, she at once recognized Isabel Clinton, who, however, passed both her and Emily without observing them, and there being no vacant chair near at hand, seated herself with Mrs. Pentricourt on a couch a little farther up the room, and entered into earnest and familiar conversation. Nor did she change her position, or look in the direction of Dr. Jeremy's party, until just as she was taking her leave. She would have passed them then, without noticing their presence, but accidentally hearing Dr. Grisworth address Miss Flint by name, she half-turned, caught Gertrude's eye, spoke a careless, how do you do, with that sort of indifference which one salutes a very slight acquaintance, cast a look back at Emily, surveyed with an impertinent air of curiosity the rest of the circle to which they belonged, and without stopping to exchange words or inquiries, walked off, whispering to her companions, some satirical comments, both upon the place and the company. "'Oh, what a beauty!' exclaimed Netta to Mrs. Pentricourt. "'Who was she?' Mrs. Pentricourt related what she knew of Miss Clinton, told how she had travelled with her in Switzerland, and met her afterwards in Paris, where she was universally admired. Then, turning to Gertrude, she remarked, "'You are acquainted with her, I see, Miss Flint.' Gertrude replied that she knew her before she went abroad, but had seen nothing of her since her return. "'She has but just arrived,' said Mrs. Pentricourt. "'She came with her father in the last steamer, and has been in Saratoga but a day or two. "'She is making a great sensation at the United States, I hear, and has troops of bows.' "'Most of whom are probably aware,' remarked Mr. Pentricourt, "'that she will have plenty of money one of these days.' Emily's attention was by this time attracted. She had been conversing with Ellen Grisworth, but now turned to ask Gertrude if they were speaking of Isabel Clinton. "'Yes,' said Dr. Jeremy, taking upon himself to reply, "'and if she were not the rudest girl in the world, my dear, you would not have remained so long in ignorance of her having been here.' Emily forbore to make any comment. It did not surprise her to hear that the Clintons had returned home, as they had separated from the Grahams soon after the latter went abroad, and she had since heard nothing of their movements. Nor was she astonished at any degree of incivility from one who sometimes seemed ignorant of the most common rules of politeness. Gertrude was silent also, but she burned inwardly, as she always did, at any slights being offered to the gentle Emily. Gertrude and Dr. Jeremy were always among the earliest morning visitors at the spring. The doctor enjoyed drinking the water at this hour, and as Gertrude was an early riser, and fond of walking before breakfast, he made it a point that she should accompany him partake of the beverage of which he was himself so fond, and afterwards join him in a brisk pedestrian exercise until near the hour of the morning meal, which was as early as Mrs. Jeremy or Emily cared to have their slumbers disturbed. On the morning succeeding the evening of which we have been speaking, they had, as usual, presented themselves at the spring. Gertrude had gratified the doctor, and made a martyr of herself, 
by imbibing a tumblerful of a water which she found very unpalatable, and he, having quaffed his seventh glass, they had both proceeded some distance on one more walk around the grounds, when he suddenly missed his cane, and believing that he had left it at the spring, declared his intention to return and look for it. Gertrude would have gone back also, but as there might be some difficulty and delay in recovering it, he insisted upon her continuing her walk in the direction of the circular railway, promising to come round the other way and meet her. She had proceeded some little distance, and was walking thoughtfully along, when, at an abrupt winding in the path, she observed a couple approaching her, a young lady leaning on the arm of a gentleman. A straw hat partially concealed the face of the latter, but in the former she at once recognized Belle Clinton. It was equally evident, too, that Belle saw Gertrude and knew her, but did not mean to acknowledge her acquaintance. For after the first glance, she kept her eyes obstinately fixed either upon her companion or the ground. This conduct did not disturb Gertrude in the least. Belle could not feel more indifferent about the acquaintance than she did. But being thus saved the necessity of awaiting and returning any salutation from that quarter, she naturally bestowed her passing glance upon the gentleman who accompanied Miss Clinton. He looked up at the same instant fixed his full gray eyes upon her, with merely that careless look, however, with which one stranger regards another, then turning as carelessly away, made some slight remark to his companion. They pass on. They have gone some steps. But Gertrude stands fixed to the spot. She feels a great throbbing at her heart. She knows that look, that voice, as well as if she had seen and heard them yesterday. Could Gertrude forget Willie Sullivan? But he has forgotten her. Shall she run after him, and stop him, and catch both his hands in hers, and compel him to see, and know, and speak to her? She started one step forward in the direction he had taken, then suddenly paused and hesitated. A crowd of emotions choked, blinded, suffocated her, and while she wrestled with them, and they with her, he turned the corner and passed out of sight. She covered her face with her hands, always her first impulse in moments of distress, and leaned against a tree. It was Willie, there was no doubt of that, but not her Willie, the boy Willie. It was true, time had added but little to his height or breadth of figure, for he was a well-grown youth when he went away. But six years of eastern life, including no small amount of travel, care, exposure, and suffering, had done the work that twice that time would ordinarily have accomplished. The fresh complexion of the boy had given place to the pallor, beard-darkened, and somewhat sun-browned tints that mark a ripened manhood. The joyous eye had a deeper cast of thought, the elastic step a more firm and measured tread, while the beaming, sunny expression of countenance had given place to a certain grave and composed look, which marked his features when in repose. The winning attractiveness of the boy, however, had but given place to equal, if not superior, qualities in the man who was still eminently handsome, and gifted with that inborn and natural grace and ease of deportment, which win universal remark and commendation. The broad, open forehead, the lines of mild but firm decision about the mouth, the frank, fearless manner, were as marked as ever, and were alone sufficient to betray his identity, to one upon whose memory these, and all his other characteristics, were indelibly stamped. And Gertrude needed not the sound of his well-known voice, though that, too, at the same moment fell upon her ear, to proclaim at once to her beating heart that Willie Sullivan had met her face to face, had passed on, and that she was left all alone, unrecognized, unknown, and to all appearance, unthought of, and uncared for. For a time, this bitter thought, 
he does not know me, was alone present to her mind. It filled and engrossed her entire imagination, and sent a thrill of surprise and agony through her whole frame. She did not stop to reflect upon the fact that she was but a child when she parted from him, and that the change in her appearance must be immense. Far less did it occur to her to congratulate herself upon a transformation every shade of which had been to her a proportionate improvement and advantage. The one painful idea, that she was forgotten and lost, as it were, to the dear friend of her childhood, obliterated every other recollection. Had they both been children, as in the earlier days of their brother and sisterhood, it would have been easy, and but natural, to dart forward, overtake, and claim him. But time, in the changes it had wrought, had built up a huge barrier between them. Gertrude was a woman now, with all a woman's pride, and delicacy and maiden modesty deterred her from the course which impulse and old affection prompted. Other feelings, too, soon crowded into her mind, in confused and mingled array. Why was Willie here, and with Isabel Clinton leaning on his arm? How came he on this side of the ocean? And how happened it that he had not immediately sought herself, the earliest, and, as she had supposed, almost the only friend he had left to welcome him back to his native land? Why had he not written and warned her of his coming? How should she account for his strange silence, and the still stranger circumstance of his hurrying at once to the haunts of fashion, without once visiting the city of his birth, and the sister of his adoption? Question after question, and doubt following doubt, rushed into her mind so confusedly, that she could not reflect, could not come to any conclusion in the matter. She could only feel and weep, and giving way to her overpowering emotion, she burst into a flood of tears. Poor child! It was so different a meeting from what she had imagined and expected. For the six years that she had been growing into womanhood, it had been the dream of her waking hours, and had come as a beautiful, though transient, reality to her happy sleep. He could hardly have presented himself at any hour of the day or night, scarcely in any disguise, that would not have been foreseen and anticipated. He could have used no form of greeting that had not already rung in the ears of her fancy. He could bestow upon her no look that would not be familiar. What Willie would say when he first saw her, what he would do to express his delight, the questions he would ask, the exclamations he would utter, and the corresponding replies on her part. The happiness of them both, lately sobered and subdued to her imagination, by the thought of the dear departed ones they had both loved so well. All this had been rehearsed by Gertrude again and again, in every new instance taking some new form, or varied by some additional circumstance. But among all her visions there had been none which in the least approached the reality of this painful experience that had suddenly plunged her into disappointment and sorrow. Her darkest dreams had never pictured a meeting so chilling. Her most fearful forebodings, and she had of late had many, had never prefigured anything so heart-rending as this seemingly total annihilation of all the sweet and cherished relations that had subsided between herself and the long-absent and exiled wanderer. No wonder, then, that she forgot the place, the time, everything but her own overwhelming grief, and that, as she stood leaning against the old tree, her chest heaved with sobs too deep for utterance, and great tears trickled from her eyes, and between the little taper fingers that vainly sought to hide her disturbed countenance. She was startled from her position by the sound of an approaching footstep, hastily starting forward, without looking in the direction from which it came, and throwing a lace veil, 
which, as the day was warm, was the only protection she wore upon her head, in such a manner as to hide her face, she wiped away her fast-flowing tears, and hastened on, to avoid being overtaken and observed by any of the numerous strangers who frequented the grounds at this hour. Half-blinded, however, by the thick folds of the veil, and her sight rendered still dimmer by the tears which continued to fill her eyes, she was scarcely conscious of the unsteady course she was pursuing, when suddenly a loud whizzing noise, close to her ears, frightened and confused her so she knew not which way to turn, nor had she time to take a single step, for at the same instant an arm was suddenly flung round her waist. She was forcibly lifted from her feet, with as much ease and lightness as if she had been a little child, and before she was conscious of what was taking place, found herself detained and supported by the same strong arm, while just in front of her a little hand-car containing two persons was whirling by at full speed. One step more, and she would have reached the track of the miniature railway, and been exposed to serious, perhaps fatal injury, from the rapidly moving vehicle. Flinging back her veil, she at once perceived her fortunate escape, and being at the same moment released from the firm grasp of her rescuer, she turned upon him, a half-confused, half-grateful face, whose disturbed expression was much enhanced by her previous excitement and tears. Mr. Phillips, for it was he, looked upon her in the most tender and pitying manner, "'Poor child,' said he, soothingly, at the same time drawing her arm through his. "'You were very much frightened. Here, sit down upon this bench.' And he would have drawn her towards a seat. But she shook her head, and signified by a movement her wish to proceed towards the hotel. She could not speak. The kindness of his look and voice only served to increase her trouble, and rob her of her power to articulate. So he walked on in perfect silence, supporting her, however, with the greatest care, and bestowing upon her many an anxious glance. At last, making a great effort to recover her calmness, she partially succeeded, so much so that he ventured to speak again, and asked, "'Did I frighten you?' "'You?' replied she, in a low and somewhat unsteady voice. "'Oh, no, you are very kind.' "'I am sorry you are so disturbed,' said he. "'Those little cars are troublesome things.' "'I wish they'd put a stop to them.' "'The car?' said Gertrude, in an absent way. "'Oh, yes, I forgot.' "'You are a little nervous, I fear. "'Can't you get Dr. Jeremy to prescribe for you?' "'The doctor? "'He went back for his cane, I believe.' "'Mr. Phillips saw that she was bewildered. "'Obtuse he knew she never was, "'for within the last few days "'his acquaintance with her had grown and ripened "'by frequent intercourse.' He forbore any attempt at conversation, and they continued their walk to the hotel without another word. Just before leaving her, however, he said, in a tone of the deepest interest, as he held her hand for a moment at parting, "'Can I do anything for you? Can I help you?' Gertrude looked up at him. She saw at once, from his countenance, that he understood and realized that she was unhappy, not nervous. Her eyes thanked him as they again glistened behind a shower of tears. "'No, no,' gasped she, "'but you are very good.' And she hastened into the house, leaving him standing for more than a minute in the spot where she had left him, gazing at the door by which she had disappeared, as if she were still in sight and he were watching her. Gertrude's first thought, after parting from Mr. Phillips and gaining the shelter of the hotel, was how she might best conceal from all her friends, and especially from Miss Graham, any knowledge of the load of grief she was sustaining.' That she would receive sympathy and comfort from Emily, there could be no doubt, but in proportion as she loved and respected her benefactress, did she shrink with jealous sensitiveness 
from any disclosure which was calculated to lessen Willie Sullivan in the estimation of one in whose opinion she was anxious that he should sustain the high place to which her own praises had exalted him. The chief knowledge that Emily had of Willie was derived from Gertrude, and with a mingled feeling of tenderness for him, and pride on her account, did the latter dread to disclose the fact that he had returned after so many years of absence, that she had met him in the public walks of Saratoga, and that he had passed her carelessly by. The possibility naturally presented itself to her mind that he had indeed visited Boston, sought her, and learning where she might be found, had come hither purposely to see her. Nor, on calm reflection, did this supposition seem contradicted by his failing, on a mere casual glance, to recognize her. For she could not be ignorant or insensible of the vast change which had taken place both in her face and figure. But the ray of hope which this thought called up was quickly dissipated by the recollection of a letter received the previous evening from Mrs. Ellis, now acting as housekeeper at Dr. Jeremy's, which would certainly have mentioned the arrival of so important a visitor. There was, however, the still further possibility that this arrival might have taken place since the day of Mrs. Ellis's concise epistle, and that Willie might have but just reached his destination, and not yet had time to discover her temporary place of abode. Though the leisurely manner in which he was escorting Miss Clinton on her morning walk seemed to contradict the supposition, Gertrude, clinging fondly to this frail hope, and believing that the rest of the day would not pass without his presenting himself at the hotel, determined to concentrate all her energies in the effort to maintain her usual composure, at least until her fears should become certainties. It was very hard for her to appear as usual, and elude the vigilance of the affectionate and careful Emily, who, always deeply conscious of her responsibility towards her young charge, and fearful lest, owing to her blindness, she might often be an insufficient protection to one of so ardent and excitable a temperament, was keenly alive to every sensation and emotion experienced by Gertrude, especially to any fluctuation in her usually cheerful spirits. And Gertrude's spirits, even when she had armed herself with confidence and hope by the encouraging thought that Willie would yet prove faithful to his old friendship, could not but be sorely depressed by the consciousness now forced upon her that he could no longer be to her as he had once been, that they could never meet on the same footing on which they had parted, that he was a man of the world now, with new relations, new cares, new interests, and that she had been deceiving herself, and laboring under a fond delusion, and cherishing the belief that in their case the laws of nature would be suspended, and time have no power to alter or modify the nature and extent of their mutual affection. There was something in the very circumstance of her first meeting him in company with Isabel Clinton, which tended to impress her with this conviction. Isabel, of all people, one so essentially worldly, and with whom she had so little sympathy or congeniality. True, she was the daughter of Willie's early and generous employer, now the senior partner in the mercantile house to which he belonged, and would not only be likely to form his acquaintance, but would have an undoubted claim to every polite attention he might have it in his power to pay her. But still Gertrude could not feel it but a greater sense of estrangement, a chilling presentiment of sorrow from seeing him thus familiarly associated with one who had invariably treated her with scorn and incivility. There was but one thing for her to do, however, to call up all her self-command, bring pride even to her aid, and endeavor, in any event, to behave with serenity and composure. 
the very fear that one keen and searching pair of eyes had already penetrated her secret so far as to discover that she was afflicted in some form or other served to put her still more upon her guard and she therefore compelled herself to enter the room where emily was awaiting her bid her a cheerful good morning and assist as usual in the completion of her toilet her face still bore indications of recent tears but that emily could not see and by breakfast time even they were effectually removed now again new trials awaited her for dr jeremy according to his promise had after recovering the missing cane gone to meet her in the direction agreed upon and finding her false to her appointment and nowhere to be found among the grounds was full of inquiries as to the path she had taken and her reasons for giving him the slip now for the first time she recollected the doctor's promise to rejoin her and the stipulation that she should proceed in the path she was then following but having until these questions were put to her quite forgotten the old gentleman she was unprepared for a reply blushed and became very much confused the truth was that when gertrude heard mr phillips approaching in the direction she should have taken she in her eagerness to avoid meeting any one took the contrary path that she had been pursuing and after he joined her, retraced her steps to the hotel in the same way she had come, consequently eluding the search of the doctor. But before she could plead any excuse, Netta Grisworth came running up, evidently full of pleasantry and fun, and leaning over Gertrude's shoulder, said in a whisper loud enough to be heard by all the little circle, who were being delayed on their way to breakfast by the doctor's demand for an explanation. "'Gertrude, my dear, such affecting partings ought to be private. "'I wonder you did allow them to take place directly at the doorstep.' "'This remark did not lessen Gertrude's discomfiture, "'which became extreme on Dr. Jeremy's catching Netta by the arm "'as she was about to run off, and insisting upon knowing her meaning, "'declaring that he already had suspicions of Gertrude, "'and wanted to know who she had been walking with. "'Oh, a certain tall young beau of hers, "'who stood gazing after her when she left him, until i began to fear the cruel creature had turned him into stone what did you do to the poor man gertrude nothing replied gertrude he saved me from being thrown down by the little rail-car and afterwards walked home with me gertrude answered seriously she could have laughed and joked with netta at any other time but now her heart was too heavy the doctor did not perceive her growing agitation however and pushed the matter still further quite romantic imminent danger providential rescue ta-ta-ta walk home carefully avoiding the old doctor who might prove an interruption i understand poor gertrude blushing scarlet and pitiably distressed tried to offer some explanation and stammered out with a faltering voice that she did not notice she didn't remember ellen griesworth gave her a scrutinizing glance emily an anxious one and netta half pitying half enjoying her confusion dragged her off towards the breakfast hall saying "'Never mind, Gertrude. It's no such dreadful thing after all.' She made a pretense of eating breakfast, but could not conceal her want of appetite, and was glad, when Emily had finished her light repast, to accompany her to their own room, where, after relating circumstantially her escape from accident and Mr. Phillips' agency in that escape, she was permitted by her apparently satisfied hearer to sit down quietly and read aloud to her in a book lent them by that gentleman.' to whom, however, owing to unfriendly fortune, no opportunity had ever yet occurred of introducing Emily. The whole morning passed away, and nothing was heard from Willie. Every time a servant passed through the entry, Gertrude was on the tiptoe of expectation, and on occasion of a tap at the door, such as occurred several times before dinner, 
She trembled so that she could hardly lift the latch. There was no summons to the parlor, however, and by noon the feverish excitement of alternate expectation and disappointment had brought a deep flush into her face, and she experienced, what was very unusual, symptoms of a severe headache. Conscious, however, of the wrong construction which would be sure to put upon her conduct, if upon any plea whatever, she on this day absented herself from the dinner-table. She made the effort to dress with as much care as usual, and, as she passed up the hall to her seat, it was not strange that, though suffering herself, the rich glow that mantled her cheeks, and the brilliancy which excitement had given to her dark eyes, attracted the notice of others beside Mr. Phillips, who, seated at some distance, continued during the short time that he remained at the table, to observe her attentively. End of chapter 38